Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Starting in the late 19th century, states across the U.S. built massive public universities far away from many major cities, leading to what we know in America as the college town. But today, many of those schools are moving their operations back to central cities, and it's causing some political battles in states like Illinois and Michigan. To talk about that, my colleague Seth Barron interviewed Aaron Wren to discuss his new piece, Aaron's new piece, The Tech Campus Moves Downtown. But before we get started, just a couple of announcements. First off, City Journal readers will be happy to know that our winter 2019 issue is hot off the press. Among the highlights, we have Jim Miggs, James Miggs, on the future of nuclear energy, Orrin Cass on vocational education, Charles McElwee on the Catholic Church's struggles in the Rust Belt, George Kelling on community policing, and much more. Lastly, this week marks the third anniversary of the 10 Blocks podcast. So thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, and we hope you'll tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast and maybe give them a copy of City Journal while you're at it. That's it for me. The conversation between Aaron and Seth begins after this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to 10 Blocks, the official podcast of City Journal. This is your host for today, Seth Barron, associate editor for City Journal. The United States has a fantastic network of large state-funded research institutions that are among the best in the world, and they have trained and launched the careers of many well-known tech innovators. But we never hear about the Quad Cities tech hub or about all the venture capital firms in Ypsilanti. Joining us today is Aaron Wren, Senior Fellow at Manhattan Institute and Contributing Editor to City Journal. Aaron writes widely about urban planning, technology, and growth in mid-sized American cities. His most recent piece in the Winter 2019 City Journal issue is called The Tech Campus Moves Downtown. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Seth. Well, in your piece, you start off talking about the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and all the tech talent it spawned. Can you fill us in on, on this? Yes. The, the University of Illinois uh, is one of the most renowned computer science and computer engineering programs in the world. I think their graduate computer science program is, is ranked fifth. Uh, but I think th- the ranking it may not even be as important as the fact that not only is it high ranking, but it's also a very, very large institution, uh, much larger than, say, Carnegie Mellon. It's just a very large institution. And so huge percentages of you know America's top computer people have come out of there, including a lot of the people who founded many blue chip Silicon Valley names. So um, Tom Siebel, who founded Siebel Systems, uh, which was a, a kind of a customer relationship management ERP type system was found from there. Larry Ellison, who founded Oracle, didn't graduate from there, uh, but he did attend there. Um, uh, Jawad Karim uh, and Stephen Chen, who founded YouTube, Jerry Stoppelman from Yelp, uh, Jerry Sanders from AMD, um, Max Levchin, uh, one of the co-founders of PayPal, 
uh, many, many, many people from there. And um, uh, most famously is, is a guy by the name of Mark Andreessen, who essentially invented the modern web browser as we know it while he was at the University of Illinois. He was working for something called the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. He wrote a program called Mosaic, which was the first modern web browser. Uh, and then ultimately, he moved out to Silicon Valley and commercialized that as Netscape. He's now a big venture capitalist. So uh, from the standpoint of the school, they can feel very good at all this incredible talent that they've produced. But from the standpoint of the state of Illinois, they're like, why aren't any of these people starting their companies in the state of Illinois? Uh, and uh, one of the reasons that they've hit upon is that the university is located essentially in a college town in the middle of the state, Champaign-Urbana, and the state's major economic engine, where you would most uh, typically start to run a big company, is Chicago, which is two, two and a half hours away. So that was kind of the genesis uh, of my thinking about this piece. So is it really is that really what it comes down to, geography, or uh, is it a question of finances, culture? Um, right. Well, there's. Uh, I, I will say there are a lot of things that go into creating uh, Tech Hub other than, than location. I mean, there, the culture of Silicon Valley is is very unique. Um, you know, there are only a handful of major tech hubs in the country. So I don't want to oversell location, um, but that is one of the things that they have a sort of alighted on as a potential cause. Yes, they would say there is no venture capital or tech ecosystem in the state of Illinois, even in Chicago, back when a lot of these companies were being founded. That's not the case today. There are, There's venture capital in Chicago there is much more of an ecosystem of, of tech corporations there. You know, Groupon, uh, although somewhat has fallen from its peak, was was founded in Chicago. Grubhub, uh, which owns Seamless in New York, is uh, is a big company based out of Chicago. So there, there are a lot of tech companies doing business there, a lot of Silicon Valley companies planting their flag. But there's still a perception that a lot of the students at the University of Illinois are, are headed straight out to Silicon Valley to work there instead of staying in state and starting companies. And I was there over the summer and I actually asked some students and yeah, they were like, we're headed to Silicon Valley. And that's because that's what's on, on their mental map. So is the problem that the university was not put in Chicago? Why is the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and why do state universities, why are they located in where, where they are? Right. Well, universities are essentially located where they are by and large because of accidents uh, of history. The University of Illinois is what's called a land-grant college. In 1862, uh, there was a law called the Morrill Act um, that granted 30,000 acres of land uh, in each state from the federal government to the states, either for them to put a university on it or they could sell it and use the funds to, to roll into a university. So the idea was to essentially seed universities that would study the agricultural and mechanical arts, essentially. And this is why a lot of those schools, they all have big agriculture schools, and they all have to tend, to tend to have large engineering programs. So a lot of these were set up, you know, 150 years ago, basically, when the world was a very, very different place. And, uh, you know, we were still somewhat in a pre-industrial, not, not entirely pre-industrial, but, but uh, somewhat pre-industrial 
uh, econ- uh, geography of how these places were set up. You know, Chicago, for example, was not the enormous colossus that it would be by the end of the 19th century. And so a lot of these states, you know, had big competitions, different communities, just like you think about where a plant might locate today. And there's all fights over who's going to get it. It was the same thing. These states, uh, there are a lot of competitions between cities to decide where they're going to be. And frankly, a lot of these universities were located where they were for purely short-term financial considerations because some local businessman or local group of people anted up some money uh, in order to put it there. So uh, Purdue University is in West Lafayette, Indiana, which is about 75 miles from Indianapolis because John Purdue and some local people anted up you know, $150,000 and, and some additional land. You know, the University of Missouri's in Columbia because the, they raised $118,000 for it. So a, a lot of these places, uh, really, they, they were just, it's whoever came up with the most money or had something. In, in Champaign, Urbana, I believe there were some partially constructed buildings or some buildings that had been built from previous attempts to start some kind of a school. And so there may have already been some facilities there. Uh, I don't believe Chicago even bid to host the university. And so what happened over time is, uh, in some cases, the place where the university was, you know, it either was the state capital or the state's economic center or grew to become the state's major economic center uh, around some of these universities, not all land grants. Uh, you know, you think of Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, the University of Minnesota in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Um uh, the University of Washington, which is not the state's land-grant school, but it's it's the, the flagship school in Washington State in Seattle. The, uh, their land-grant school, Washington State, is actually out in the, in the eastern part of the state. But, the, but those became big, essentially, economic centers. Uh, in, in other cases, uh, it ended up that they just remained essentially college towns, like West Lafayette or, or like Urbana-Champaign. They're economically successful cities, but they're fairly small. And because of the small size of the communities, there's just a limit to how big you can get in these places. It's pretty rare to be able to build, you, you know, a company of you know five thousand people, let's say, in a town that size. Now, is it? So am I saying it physically can't be done? No, but when you just have a thinner labor market and a very college-dominated environment. It's just not a major economic a major economic center. Certainly, they're all most college towns very are prosperous in a sense, but they're not always the, these major economic hubs. And so, in in states, so in Illinois, there's a major disconnect in that the state capital is in Springfield, the the state's primary university is in Urbana-Champaign, and the state's financial center, its business center, is in Chicago. So those have been uh, all geographically dispersed, and. So one of the things that uh, various people have been trying to do is to try to better connect Champaign and Chicago. And uh, what spurred my piece was this uh, latest iteration, which was something called the Discovery Partners Institute, which is an attempt to open a, a research institute that would be not just a regional campus, but part of the main University of Illinois campus in Chicago which would not only have essentially its own faculty, but essentially faculty would rotate through there, students would come study there, and they would partner with corporations. And the idea is essentially, I think, to expose people, the students, 
at the University of Illinois with the Chicago environment and what is there and hopefully create more stickiness that would then ultimately keep the talent and spin off more companies. So how's that working? Are they, uh, I mean, there is a university, a campus of the University of Illinois in Chicago. Is it um, connected to that? Uh, no, it would be it would be a, a separate initiative. Thing? So there is the, the University of Illinois at Chicago, which has many fine programs of its own. This would be something that's much more tightly connected to the mothership in Champaign. It's not. It's it's at this stage. It's already in development. You know, the state has appropriated five hundred million dollars uh, that would in, that would go towards this, um, and they've signed some deals um, with some some universities in Israel. But they have they haven't fully launched it yet, so it's still somewhat being defined what it's going to be. Uh, but but obviously, it was in part inspired by Cornell Tech. Uh, in New York City, which is a similar type of project. Well, tell us about Cornell Tech, uh, because, I mean, it's been about 20 years now, I guess, since New York City uh, tried to brand a, a, the, the Silicon Alley, um, uh, you know, to, to make New York City a tech hub. And I gather that's worked to some extent. Um, but what is the story with uh, Cornell Tech? Yeah, well, you know, New York started, you know, again, with the dot-com era, I coined this term Silicon Alley. There was sort of a boom. Then there was a major bust uh, that happened after that time. New York's tech, tech hub has come roaring back. You know, by some measure, you know, New York is now the number two city behind Silicon Valley area in terms of venture capital. So it's considered a major tech hub. Obviously, with Amazon coming here, that that's a you know a big vote of confidence in New York's tech ecosystem. Mayor Bloomberg basically said, you know, New York is an amazing talent attractor, but the city needs to do more to produce talent. And what he saw was he looked out at Silicon uh, Valley with uh, Stanford and, and Berkeley. He looked up at Boston and he saw MIT. And he's like, we need to have institutions like that in our city. So he said, I'll, I'll give $100 million in city money and free land to a university to come set up shop here. So there was a big competition you know, Stanford bid on it, other people bid on it, and Cornell, in partnership with a, a university out of Israel called Technion, which is a, t- a technology institute there, won, and they created a, a technology campus on Roosevelt Island called Cornell Tech, and uh, it is, at this point, it's, it's purely a graduate school, so it's graduate school, it's research, and uh, they're minting degrees uh, there. And, you know, Cornell's an interesting case. It's a private college. So it's a private Ivy League school, but it has a sort of a unique status in that it was also the land-grant school for the state of New York. So they have an agriculture college and things that you don't necessarily associate with, with Ivy League schools. Uh, but they're in upstate Ithaca, and they've got a great college environment down there. And what they, what they obviously decided was that, uh, you know, New York City would be a good place for them to tap into some additional opportunities that weren't all available in, in Ithaca. They're very happy in Ithaca. Obviously, they wanted to stress that when I talked to them. Uh, but just like as their medical school has long been here, the ability to partner directly with corporations uh, that are based in New York to access the talent in New York, and then also to work on many of the problems uh, of emerging technology problems, which are about the problems of cities. We're living in an urban, essentially an urban age, and so much of what is going on uh, whether it be talks about driverless cars or you know uh, transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft, uh, things like the Link NYC internet kiosks and, or, and data and, and big data and, and, and smart cities and all that, 
the city is the venue in which many of these problems are being worked out. And so it, it made sense for them to essentially expand their footprint to take, to take, in, um, take in New York as well. And being a private college, they were free from many of the political headaches that affect state university locate, location decisions. Like in Illinois, one of the big challenges has been, obviously, the people in downstate Illinois in Urbana-Champaign are, you know, completely opposed to anything that they view as maybe potentially taking resources away from them. So there's, there's a lot of, of things that need to go on there. So how portable is this model? And also, to what extent, I mean, state universities have a pretty pretty good budget from the state. Um are people in, say, oh, I don't know, Kansas or Iowa, are they upset about the idea that people are educated at state expense and then leave to go to the coasts to pursue their careers? Um, and how portable is this model? Uh, could every state have a tech hub? Is that a goal? Is that realistic? Well, I would say... Every state is concerned about what they call brain drain and the idea that exactly what you said, you know, we have kids that grow up in the state, we educate them in the state, and then they leave. Uh, you know, I have always maintained that that is overblown as a problem, uh, but it's clearly a, a huge perceived issue in almost every place. Can every state be a tech hub? Probably not. But nevertheless, it's like it's, it's just like biotechnology and life sciences. This this idea of Silicon Valley style startups, it's basically like that's the economy, it, it, and people feel like they have to go try to get their their piece of the action. And we do see, um, I, I do see a couple of things. One, that tech industry today is much more urban than it used to be. That the traditional thinking of uh, a tech company was to be out in essentially suburban uh, Silicon Valley, which is a very suburban environment, or Route 128 around Boston. Those places are still there, but today it's in places like Lower Manhattan, it's in San Francisco, it's in Cambridge. They're in the tech tech business today has become much more urbanized in a lot of ways, and with many of the young people and others wanting to be in cities. You know, the universities have in fact more and more been looking at being much more in downtown environments. So I also cite the example of uh, Michigan State, already located in, uh, you know, not a small town, state capital, East Lansing, that they uh, built a huge medical campus in Grand Rapids, the city's uh, second largest city. And essentially the, their medical school is, they didn't close East Lansing, it's still there, they've maybe even expanded it, but technically their medical school is now based in Grand Rapids. And then we're also seeing um, the, the University of Virginia's uh, Darden School of Business, which is their graduate school of business, uh, opened a big office in, in Rosslyn in Arlington, uh, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., right along the metro lines there. And so uh, a lot of their executive MBAs are there. And so they're moving. I, I, we do see a lot of people moving into, to, to, into these major metropolitan areas. There's a, a thing, and in, in, um, it's not in the piece, but in Chicago they have this concept they call Loop U, which is a collection of 30-plus universities that are all located in downtown Chicago or have expanded into downtown Chicago that have something like 60,000 students. Like, it's an enormous uh, numbers of students are actually going to school there. That includes, uh, you know, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, even campuses of DePaul and, and Northwestern, schools that are in the area already. They have a downtown campus. The University of Chicago has the Gleacher Center in downtown. So there is this 
this migration to downtown. What you see, though, is to date, they've all been graduate programs. And that that makes the most sense because so much of the undergraduate experience is tethered to the experience of the campus. Mm -hmm. So you really can't replicate the feel of being an undergraduate at the University of Illinois in some sort of a Chicago type. It would be a completely different campus. It would be a different thing. Uh, Whereas the graduate graduate programs seem to be what are much more uh, graduate programs and and, um, essentially kind of executive type programs, like executive MBAs tend to be looking at this. And I would say it's probably on the radar of of a lot of schools thinking about their their strategy. And um, again, I focus on engineering, but you can also think about uh, MBA schools. I know it's on their agenda. When you look at the top schools like, you know, Harvard, which is located in Boston, I mean, uh, or the University of Chicago, Northwestern located in Chicago, a lot of the schools that are not located in one of these major business centers with access to the corporations and the CEOs and the airports and, and part of that business, it puts them at a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of being able to uh, be competitive because they can't always have all these CEOs lecturing in their classrooms all the time like like they have when they're, when they're in the big city. So people are paying attention to this. I think it's early days. We'll see what can be done. I don't think that anybody's going to pick up a university and simply relocate it in a different city. But we're going to see incremental moves. And another one, it's, it's not in the article I wrote, it, uh, but I wrote it in a different article about um, about Grand Rapids was there's a, a state university there, Ferris State. This is the major pharmacy school in the state of Michigan. They um, they opened a facility in Grand Rapids where the uh, third and fourth year of the pharmacy program uh, are done in Grand, Grand Rapids where you're, you're kind of, I guess, doing clinicals or something like that. And, and so I, it's, it's out there. It's being examined. What will happen to it? I don't know. But this... A better aligning uh, of states aligning their educational and research institutions with the economic geography of the state is is one of the you know I think compelling agenda items for the 21st century. Let me ask you one final question, and maybe this is a little too broad. Um, the whole dream of the tech revolution was uh, disaggregation, uh, disintermediation. Uh, there's going to be you could do your work on the beach, you could be in the mountains. Um, but nevertheless, we have these hubs, and everything seems to be centered around particular places, like you know, uh, southern, you know, California, in you know the Bay Area, maybe New York City to some extent, Route uh, 128. Um, so, do we have different tensions operating here? Are things will things break apart? Will we will, will we uh, fulfill this dream of? People just sitting on a mountain somewhere in Montana, um, you know, running a huge business, huge tech business, or are we going to see more and more centralization? Well, I, that is that is a broad question. I, mean, I think there's a little bit of both. I think this idea that the internet was going to enable everybody to just work remotely from a farm somewhere uh, didn't come to pass. The world was flat, as, as Tom Friedman famously put it, but mostly for things like manufacturing and raw materials and call centers and things of that nature. But the globalization of the world um, – this was a thesis uh, most famously put by a sociologist named Saskia Sasa and said, look, when you have this complex global environment, it actually promotes centralization of the executive functions, essentially. Ex- executive functions, producer and financial services, that if you have a global network 
that you need to run, you want to be at the, the central hubs of the global network and where the human capital of people who understand international trade law and international accounting, international marketing are located. Where's that? That's New York, right? That's Chicago. That's London. That's cities like that. And so the same thing is true of technology in that you need to have access to that labor force. And that labor force has increasingly congregated in these select hubs. So to the extent that you are a smaller location or you're someplace, um, uh, you know, Provo, Utah or Boulder, Colorado, where you have uh, you have a significant base of human capital in these these spec these uh, uh, look you know in this in this industry you sure you can have something of, of a tech cluster and have a boom but if you don't you know the idea that one person in industry makes is not clear yes there are people who take their uh, Amazon or Microsoft salary and are now moving into uh, Eastern Washington or even into Idaho because the cost of living is lower and you know but those are one-offs and they haven't really turned into you know industries in those places yet but you know potentially could at some point but as of now it seems to be that uh, a lot of it is still in, is still in the big cities uh, or you know in big cities that are sort of uh, you know Texas type model cities but still not necessarily small places okay very interesting very interesting. Uh, don't forget to check out Aaron's work at city-journal.org or at aaronren.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-R-E-N-N. We would love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter at CityJournal, hashtag 10blocks. If you like our show and want to hear more of it, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. This is your host for today, Seth Barron. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.